Welcome to the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. It's June 8th, 2011, and this is episode 289. I have a real treat in store for you and me this week, uh, as we have Iberian X Perillo on the other end of a Skype connection, and we're just going to chat and have a, you know, just to just really chew the fat about various topics on photography. So uh, welcome to the show, Iberianex. Thank you, Martin. I'm, I'm really honored to have to be on your show because uh, you're one of those podcasts that I listen to regularly because I think you do a great job with everything that you do. Well, the, you know, I'm I'm humbled to hear you say that as well. I mean, partly because you know of of where you are in the industry, um, but also, you know, I've I've been listening to to your podcast for years as well. Um, I'm sure that most uh, most of the people listening already know and already listened to your podcast, but just to give them a little bit of background. Um, so Iberianex is a photographer, writer, educator, filmmaker. He's been in the photographic industry for over 20 years, and he's been published in various magazines such as Outdoor Photographer, Digital Photo Pro, Shutterbug, Popular Photography and Rangefinder. Uh, and he's also just released his own book, which is Amazing! I've I've read it, and we're going to touch touch on that later. But also, Ibirinex is the host of the Candid Frame, and this is where I'm, I think that most people will already know of Ibirinex from. Uh, and if you don't, be ashamed of yourself and just go over there and <laughs> sign up right now because you should do. Um, I think Ibirinex. I think when I first started listening to podcasts, um, I started off with Lens Work and Chris's Tips from the Top Floor. And I think that yours was was either the, the one after that that I found. I mean, when did you start? When did you put out your first episode? Uh, it was four years ago in February. Yeah. Okay, that that will um, make sense. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, like you, I, I started listening to podcasts fairly early on, and mm. I think Chris Marcorat's Tips from the Top Floor was one of the very first ones that I, I listened to. But soon after that, I, I got on on the bandwagon. Mm. So. You know, we're, we're literally, like I just said, we, we haven't really scripted this. We're just going to keep chatting and, and jumping off on various tangents. So listeners, bear with us as we do this, but uh, hopefully it'll be something that you'll, you'll enjoy. But so when you, when you decided to jump on the bandwagon, did you have any idea that it would become what it is? Or, you know, can you take us through that a little bit? Yeah, and it was one of those things that it was one of those moments in my life where I knew if I did it, it would be successful. Ah, yeah. And that all I had to do was just do all the work. Yeah. It sounds um, easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, you, those moments are fairly rare. But you just, mm. I just felt like I was in the car and I just knew, man, if I do this, I, I, I'm sure that it would come off well. Mm. You know, the, man, the name popped into my head and I felt like, God, yeah, I, this, this will really come off really well. Because I was listening to all the other podcasts that were happening, uh, that were popping up. And the great majority of them were talking about equipment and yeah. fixating on equipment, and and I thought, wow, this is such a missed opportunity because the medium is is so exciting in, in what it's offering, but no one's really talking about photography. Mm. And then I went, well, I know how to interview people, mm. I know all these photographers, mm. um, why don't I do it? Yeah. And so I just learned how to figure out how to record audio using a digital recorder at the time and and learn how to edit on GarageBand and 
you know, figured out how to create a blog and, and upload, you know, the files mm. into the internet so that people could download them. So I, I figured all that stuff out and then I just dived in yeah. and uh, just sort of learned how, learned by doing. Yeah. So yeah. those those early episodes, I kind of I, I don't even want to listen to, because <laughs> um, I sort of cringe. Uh, but you know, it was it was it was just the fact that I wanted to create a show that I would want to listen to. Yeah, yeah. And for the most part, I wanted to hear photographers talk about why they're photographers and and their work. And so that's been you know the guiding principle. Behind, behind the show as as it's changed over the last four years but at its heart it's just about photographers talking about photography sure sure yeah so i you know very similarly i mean i when once i knew that i had to i had to do this i you know i i was i was pretty similar similar to you in that i i just sort of went through did all of the stuff that did the technical stuff to make it happen um, I re I re-recorded my first episode three times because the audio quality was so poor. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I I I was very similar in that once I knew or once I realised that it was something that would I didn't think it was going to be as as much of a success as it has been. But I um I had different ideas to you. You know, really with me it was more about me sharing what I know. I mean, you you from the start have brought these interviews with amazing photographers from around the world and. So I can understand, I can imagine, you know, that you were much more um, confident that it was going to be a success than I initially was. Uh, how, how did you know? So I, I know that from your work, you've had um, a certain amount of connection with with the photographers that you will be interviewing through the magazines and things that you've worked for. But you know, what? How do you continue to? To get in touch, you don't need to give us any trade secrets here or anything. But how do you continue to get in touch with the people you do? Because you really contact some amazing, you know, top photographers from around the world. I, I think yeah, I was kind of lucky that when I first started the show, I already knew some some photographers. Like the first photographer I interviewed was John Isaac, who's yeah. a legendary <laughs> exactly. um, United quest. Nations photographer. Right. And he was, you know, I knew him. Oh, and wow. so I was when he was in town speaking uh, at at the at art center. I just said, "Hey, I know you're in town. Would you mind uh, me getting together and me interviewing him?" Mm, mm. And and we did this in uh, in in a restaurant in the hotel he was staying at. Mm. And um, and I think that the initial people that I interviewed were people that I had um, either gotten to know through the magazines or through my time at Nikon. Mm. And then once I started getting certain names on the roster, mm. uh, it became easier to contact people who I didn't know. Got you. And I was yeah. able to say, well, I interviewed this person yeah. on the show. Yeah. And that gave me a certain sort of cachet with people, particularly some of the 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 bigger names or the more people or the people who are who are very very busy. Yeah. So once they started hearing that names like Jamie Zell or Greg Gorman, mm. you know, and people along those lines had been interviewed, they, they you know I got a pass. Yeah. And so yeah. at that point it was just being able to coordinate with their schedule and mine to to either meet in person or to conduct an interview over the phone. Mm -hmm. So I, I think I was sort of lucky in the fact that I already knew people that that had some name recognition. So when I started reaching out to those photographers who I didn't know, and I send them an email, which is largely the, 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 the means of initial contact, 
that I I I list the people who I've already spoken to, mm. and I think that that helps. Not always, because there's some people who are on my list that I've still not gotten on the show. But I think for for a great majority of them, mm. um, it's helped. Yeah, I can imagine how that would snowball. You know that. Just having that sort of prestige behind you, saying that you've interviewed all of these people, is going to help you to get in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's amazing. I mean, I, I've I've enjoyed every one of your shows, and um, it's it really is uh, an honour to be sitting here chatting with you. But you know, I should also mention um, because I, I'm I'm not sure that every listener to my own podcast knows this, but we've also spoken a number of times on the Focus Ring, which is the it's basically, I mean, <laughs> I remember you, you opened one because you generally host the ones that I've been on. Um, I think we've mm-hmm. done maybe four together or so. But um, you opened one with, I think it was me, you, Chris Marquardt, and Jeff Curto. Mm-hmm. And you opened it by, by introducing us as, as four infidels or something. <laughs> like, I mean, that got me cracked up. You know, your humor always, always gets, me, uh, gets me laughing. But it's true. You know, it's like, it's, it's just like a band of merry men that got together for a chat and you know so the you know the focus ring it's the it's the the photo cast networks um sometimes we we get together uh, we, we obviously we don't do as much as we'd like to um time constraints on everybody's part sort of and the fact that we're all in different parts of the world I mean, right makes that, right makes that whole thing a challenge i mean i miss doing those those were a, lo- a lot of fun but i think that just the nature of where we are in different parts of the world really make it very difficult to get everybody right it usually it usually ends up being after midnight for me uh, just so, just <laughs> yeah. so that we can get chris in europe on and so yeah but um they're fun uh if anyone is listening that hasn't picked up on the focus ring podcast yet there's a number of them in there uh just search it out on on itunes or go to photocastnetwork.com and, and check them out there but um yeah that i was gonna the, the point that i was gonna get to there was that you know, we've spoken a number of times before. I, I, through your podcast, I I feel that I know you, and I'm sure that you hear that from a lot of people. Um, but also, we've spoken um, over Skype a number of times in the past, and um, and I've had you on my show. So, uh, for those people who haven't had the opportunity to listen to it, um, you, you'll find that uh, my conversation with Martin is on is on the feed somewhere as well. You know what? I don't remember doing that. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> Did, did we really chat? I think we did. I did. I don't think we have yet. You know. You're kidding me. No. <laughs> I, I thought we had. I no. Was, oh. Um. I t- you know what? If I'm going senile um, and have totally forgotten, then I apologize. But I don't think we've actually recorded for your show. Um, let's let's oh. check that up. But uh, you know what? If you think that we already have, then we should. <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll check. Yeah, now let's check. Let's check that. Check that up. Okay. I, I'm pretty sure we haven't. So, uh, but I'm I'm honoured again that you we'll think that we. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, it's uh, that's something we can check up on. Um, but yeah. no, it, it's it's really been it's been it's been great chatting over the years, and uh, I was really really happy for you and also excited to hear that you've done the book recently so you know I mean, i've got a copy here um and i'm i'm, I'm just gonna you know tell the listeners it, it's called chasing the light improving your photography with available light 
And this is Iberianex's book that was released, what, two months ago now, Iberianex? Yeah, in April. April came yep. out. So it's a beautiful book. Um, it's fully illustrated with Iberianex's own work, which, which obviously that's a winner from the start. Um, but, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about the book, Iberianex. I mean, how did you, um, obviously, I mean, I know that doing something like this is, is a goal for a lot of photographers, and I know that it was particularly one of your goals. But you know, talk about the book a little. How, how did how did it come about? And um, you know, what are your what are your thoughts on on it having gotten it done now and actually in the bookstore? You know, it's it's like you said. I think a lot of photographers or a lot of writers always dream about putting putting their own book out there. And I know I've been dreaming about publishing something since I was a kid. My parents gave me a typewriter when I think was in elementary school. <laughs> and, um, you know, I would just put the newspaper or magazine right next to the typewriter and I, would, I taught myself how to, how to type. Yeah. And, um, you know, I always imagined that one day I'd walk into a bookstore and I'd have a title there and I'd actually go to the library or uh, a bookstore and I would go, uh, among the shelves and go, okay, my name would be right here. Mm. And and imagine that one day I would have something there. So it, it's been a long-standing dream for me to, to do it, but I never made the time to do it. Mm. Um, and then just, you know, a little more than a year, year and a half ago, you know, I, I realized that, you know, if I'm going to try and make this happen, I just need to do the very next thing. Yeah. And the very next thing for me was to just write a query letter and a query letter for people who don't know is basically a proposal letter that you send to a publisher mm. um, explaining what the book is going to be about what the content's going to be what the market is mm. and why you are you know the ideal person to put this together mm. and from all my experience writing for the magazines i felt pretty confident that i could put together a pretty tight query letter mm. and so i spent about a month yeah writing out the query letter, writing out the outline, writing out uh, a sample chapter, and uh, I, I chose Peach Pit Press because I thought they they were probably the best publisher out there in terms of photo books, mm, yeah. um, and especially in terms of marketing and using you know social media and all that to, to really promote promote the books. Yeah, um, they had you know um, they're the publisher of Joe McNally's book and David Dushman. So I felt like, well, if I'm going to keep company, I want to keep company with those guys. Yeah, yeah. So um, after I got the query letter and put everything together and sent it out, it was a couple of months before I, I heard back from them. And then we kind of went back and forth, and and they signed me on to do the book. Wow, and, nice. Um, and then from there, it was just actually doing the work. Oh, yeah, I think. again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like with the podcast, you know, you figure it all out, and then you have to do the work. Oh, yeah. And that's when you get nervous because all of a sudden it's like, okay, I've signed a contract and they're giving me a check. I've actually got to do this. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but that was, that was a good thing. And I imposed uh, a pretty tight deadline for me. So, because I actually wrote the book in about, I guess, six months. Wow. Good and work. Uh, I probably could have taken longer, but I didn't want to because I was probably just procrastinated. <laughs> so it was, it was one of those things where I felt like, Okay, let me just dive in and make it happen, and uh, you hold uh, the result in your hand. Wow! Well, congratulations. Um, but also, you know, it's it's a it really is a beautiful book. I'm not just saying this because you know I'm I'm trying to blow smoke anywhere. <laughs> um, it's uh, you know it's it just you know you you go through and you explain. It's like having known you sort of 
you know, as I have for a number of years now, and and be able to sort of relate to the person that wrote the book is 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 huge, really. And I think mm. that, that the the people that listen to your podcast um, will also get that because I I receive email from time to time where people. Um, they say that they feel as though they know me. They feel like every, every week they're sitting down to listen to the podcast. They feel like they're sitting down with a coffee or, or a beer with a friend and they're, they're just going to have a chat. And I, I love the fact that people feel that way. But also, you know, I mean, it, it's going to come across when people um, that, that know you through your podcast, as well as someone that just picks this up on the bookshelf, on the, you know, from the, from the shelf, shelf in the bookstore, they, you can get right into your your way of thinking and, and you explain in such such beautiful detail how you fit you know how you work your subjects how you work the light and you know you know what i actually got a little bit of an emotional when i turned onto page uh, what will it be 89 uh, 88 uh, 98 and i saw your dad looking back at me you know mm. <laughs> i knew it instantly that it was him from obviously because you you've you've got he looks you know you look a little bit like your dad um but um I was. I, I thought, you know, this personal touch of actually adding a photo of your dad in there was was really nice as well. You've you've obviously poured your heart into this book. Well, thank you. I think that, that really means a lot, uh, especially coming from 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 you, because I think you you do much the same thing on on your own show. Mm. Um, but yeah, you know, I knew that I wanted the book to be more than just another instructional book on photography. I mean, there's no shortage of that stuff out there. Right. And and I kind of struggled with finding that voice in the book, but I had a wonderful um, uh, editor with uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Kubal who helped me sort of find that voice. And I struggled with that for the first couple of chapters. But once I found that, it was just, let me just write the book as if I am talking to someone and trying to share my approach to photography. With right, them. right. That comes across and, so well. Yeah, and once I, I, I was able to do that, it became a lot easier to write, and I was less intimidated about the whole process of putting, putting the words down on paper, mm -hmm. and and that's really what I wanted to do with the book because I'm I'm not necessarily the most the, the greatest photographer that's ever lived. Neither am I the most you know educated or informed in terms of all technical matters regarding photography, mm -hmm. but I do know what works what's worked for me in terms of me making images. And I found that when I taught workshops or when I was teaching photography online, mm. that a lot of people didn't know what I knew. Mm. And it was like, really? And for me, it didn't seem like it was a big deal, but I realized that that what I was often talking about with people was not so much the technical stuff mm. regarding the camera, it was how I was seeing. Yeah, I, I took some guys out to downtown Los Angeles with me, and I just started shooting, and they were like, "What are you looking at?" Mm, mm. And at that moment, I had, I didn't realize that other people weren't seeing it. Yeah, yeah. I just assumed that they were picking up all the stuff that I was picking up on, and when I started having to explain it to them, I realized that 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 way of seeing, particularly the way I was looking and responding to light was something that was missing from, from a lot of photographers vocabulary surprisingly mm, mm, mm. that they knew how to use cameras they knew how to use photoshop they 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 knew all the sort of technical stuff but in terms of understanding and taking advantage of how they saw the world that was missing mm. 
And I felt that the best way of being able to bring that out in them Mm. was for me to share how I do it and how I see and how that informs all the different things that I end up doing with the camera. Mm. Yeah. I, you know what, having just listened to what you said, I, I've got a, I've got a kind of a reverse question for you. I, you know, I had this guy on one of my workshops once that it seemed to be almost like a habit of his speech that he just, every few minutes he seemed to be saying, oh, the light's terrible. You know, and, and actually, I mean, the light wasn't great. I mean, we were, we were in Hokkaido. It was a, an overcast winter's day. Um, there was a deer stag standing on top of a, a mound of snow and the light wasn't great, but there was a photograph there. You know, mm-hmm. and so do you feel as though the light has to be one hundred percent before you'll even point your camera at something, or or will you work with with lesser light if there's a if there's a subject there, nevertheless? There the, are the two ways to look at that. I mean, one one thing is is the way most people look at it is that they look at a particular subject in in this case, the stag. Mm. And they want a certain quality of light in order to render it in the way that they, they're imagining it in their eye. Mm. And for me, what I've been doing is I've been more looking as light as my subject. Got you, yeah. And, and that ends up informing how and what I photograph. Yeah. You yeah. know, there, there are some occasions where I want to photograph something specifically. Mm. And in that case, I'm considering the quality of the light, and I'll, I'll recognize that you know the light is not going to be ideal for photographing mm. this particular subject at this particular time. Mm. But for the most part, when I'm going out to photograph, um, I'm not making judgment calls in terms of good light and bad light. Mm. There are certain mm. certain better qualities of light, you know, for a given subject. But for the most part, when I go out and shoot, I'm taking a look at the light, whether it's midday or early morning or evening. And thinking about okay, what are the strengths and the weaknesses of, of this light? Yeah. And how can I use it to make any photograph? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then suddenly, if I'm dealing with high contrast light, you know, with those sort of hard light with those very strong shadows, mm. I'm looking for a particular subject matter that can take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. And if I'm shooting on an overcast day where the light is flat and soft and the colors aren't particularly saturated, mm. then I'm looking for different subject matter as a result. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, the the this guy that I that I just recalled, um, he said it so often. It was like it was almost as though it was just his way of complaining. Um, and and I I think that there were times where you know obviously he was he was right in many ways. The the light isn't going to be fantastic all day. If you're if you're doing a tour like the ones we do in Hokkaido, where you're out from morning till night, the night the light's not going to be brilliant every day. Um, but I think the difference with the, with the sort of things that we the sort of work that we do is that you know with wildlife, you've often got to try and capture what's there when it's there, and obviously you you, you grab the shots, you make what you can of it, but then mm-hmm. you still hope somewhere that at some point there's going to be the same stag standing standing in a similar place with evening sunlight, you know, dripping through the trees behind him or or he's spotlit on on the in in there with with tree a beam of light coming through a, a broken cloud and you know you dream and you hope for those shots and there and and when that happens that is the that they're the shots that take you to the next level and and they're the shots when published that people notice so yeah he's he's certainly right and and you know it's 
I, I guess I was just trying to figure out how you felt about going for the shot, um, even when the light's not there, just because you, you know you really need to you need to get something from it. Yeah, well, in that particular situation, like like you said, you make the shot with the light that you have. Mm. But if I were out there, I wouldn't be con continually shooting that same stag, right, right. knowing that the light is less than ideal. At that, at some point, I'll make the best image I can of that stag, and then I'm going, well, until there's better light or until I find a better situation for this particular subject matter, what else is out here to photograph? Right, yeah, that's generally what we did. Um, I think we all we all walked away with a, with a handful of photos but it was really just to record that he was there, and so were we. <laughs> and so, yeah. Now that's good. Yeah, but, that's... but I think that's part of that part that judgment is mm. is is right. becomes the biggest hurdle to overcome as as a photographer because you go out there with a specific intent of ph photographing A, yeah, and then B, C, and D may be even more phenomenal opportunities for photography, mm. but because you're so fixated. Mm -hmm. and making such harsh judgments about the quality of light and its impact on your subject matter, you are completely blind to yeah. the other opportunities that present themselves. And that's really what I was hoping to get across in the book is to you know, understand those qualities of light that can improve the, the possibility of you making a great photograph of, a, of, your, of your subject matter, but being more open to what light is doing yeah. because if you are then suddenly you will find subject matter that you would never have considered before mm. for photographs. And that's, that's what happened. That's what happened with me. Got you. Got you. Yep. Uh, it's, you know what, it's great. It's, uh, for, for these things, you know, like, like we said, you know, we're really just sort of riffing with each other's ear. We're not, we, we haven't planned any of this. And so it's great to be, to be hearing you say that stuff. And I, um, I find that, you know, the, always the the people when i'm out walking around if i'm walking with a group I, i'm generally my head's going everywhere i'm looking left right up down behind me and everywhere and and um you know generally i think that people do need to look for not just the subject but the the light at the same time and um obviously when things happen and it all comes together there's such a rush and um, mm -hmm. And it's just you know when you're with a group, you you generally feed off of each other as well. Um, and you, you've got you know I mean you've obviously been teaching photography um, for for a long time. You've got uh, a lot of street photography. I, I remember a, a comment that I made on the Focus Ring a few years ago that you know at the time I was so intimidated by photographing people for for example that I, I mentioned that if I had to do um, street photography, I'd probably do it from a block away with my 600 millimeter. <laughs> um, and it's like, I'm, I'm over that to a degree, but you, you, have you know, you take this to the next level. You, you get really deep in, you interact with your subjects. Um, is there anything that, you know, maybe let's talk about the anxiety side of that. What advice do you give people, um, that, you know, so, I mean, even for me, what what sort of advice do you give for people that are that are anxious about approaching people on the streets um when you you know when you want to photograph them uh don't wait for the anxiety to go away it's mm. not mm. it's not do, do you I still, still get I, oh yeah. yeah every time i go out and shoot a new day new day of shooting wow and i uh, haven't approached someone that day i'm 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 i still feel it wow um it, yeah that that's that feeling never goes away no matter how long uh 
you do this. Mm. But I've learned that if I get past that anxiety and that fear and I approach someone and make their photograph, that it becomes easier. Uh, Yeah. Um, And, you know, there there are different approaches I take. Sometimes I I just go up to a person and I start talking to them, oftentimes Mm. complimenting them on some aspect about them, their hat, their shoes, the, the clothes they're wearing. And I usually gush when I... When I approach them, because I'm really sincerely excited about some aspect yeah. of them, yeah. and usually from their reaction to that compliment, I'm able to sort of not only uh, assess whether or not they'll be responsive to being being photographed, but they also have an understanding of why I want to photograph them. Mm-hmm. So rather mm-hmm. than me coming up to them and going, "Can I make your picture?" Yeah, and they they're all of a sudden their their head is filled with questions as to why you want to make my picture, what do you want to use it for. Mm. But because I'm going up to them and I'm just, I'm acknowledging them, and mm. and complimenting them and flattering them, and 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 letting them know that they are a person that I find interesting and why. Yeah. Um, usually, bridging the topic of making a photograph um, is not is not so much of a problem, and I found that that's really really worked for me. Yeah. And yeah. you know, there are other times where where I don't do that and I just make the photograph, and on some of those occasions. It's about I don't want to miss the moment. So I'll make the photograph and I may approach them and, and dialogue with them further or I just may give them a smile and a, and a nod and, and, and move on. Mm. But I find that it's the act of just doing it yeah. that gets me gets me past the fear because there's no... There's no Magic bullet. There's, no, there's, no, yeah, there's nothing... Yeah. Other than doing it, you'll never get over it. Got you. So you can live your whole, your whole life wanting to do it and I think great number of photographers want to do it but they're filled with terror at the idea of doing it and i'd say probably 98 percent of the people who i approach about making their photographs have said yes and mm-hmm. that's over you know 20 years and or 30 40 years of, of making photographs mm-hmm. most people at least in in the states which has been most of my experience um are are, are really agreeable to to being acknowledged and being and being photographed as long as you're sincere and honest about it which mm. is one of the reasons I'm often shooting with you know a 35 or 85 millimeter and not using a 300 or a 600 millimeter lens to to capture pictures of, of people for the most part yeah um, I like the immediacy that I get from using the sort of focal focal lengths mm. as opposed to sort of this distance and yeah. this sense of separation I want you to feel like you are right there with that yeah. with that person, which is why I end up shooting the way I do, and why, as you, as you see in a lot of those book uh, pictures in the book, there's that sense of intimacy that really comes across, or that, that I'm hoping comes across in, no, in the photographs. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's maybe why it's getting slightly easier for me because I I do I have forced myself to, you know, despite the anxiety to to actually shoot people. Um, in the street, you know, go up to them and ask permission. Um, but I, I don't. I still don't do it very often. It's really not my genre. It's it's not the sort of photography that even particularly interests me as a photographer. But I, although I love looking at um, work such as yours and you know and and street photography or you know portraiture where that's done in the street, which I guess is street photography. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I, I enjoy looking at it and I'm inspired by it. It's not necessarily the sort of thing that I really enjoy doing myself, but that's more a time and priority thing. And um, so, yeah. but and I, the camera makes me brave. You know? mm, 
Yes. It really, it really does. It yeah. gives me an excuse to be able to go up to a complete stranger and start talking to them. Right. Something that I wouldn't do without a camera. Right. You know, put me in a social gathering with a bunch and a mixer with a bunch of people I don't know and, and I'm a, at a complete loss. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but put me outside on the street with a camera and I, I'm in my element. I feel a certain level of confidence that I don't feel like at a, at a party or a mixture where I'm just some anonymous, you know, person in the room. Mm. Um, but on the street, I feel like I have a certain level of control there. Yeah. And yeah. me going up to someone, even if they have the hold the potential of rejecting me and telling me that they don't want to be photographed, mm. doesn't hold the sort of dread and and fear that it once that it once had, because mm. I do realize that the great majority of people will say yes, and the resulting photograph may make whatever anxiety I felt so worthwhile. Mm. And and I really like having stories to tell that go along with photographs. Yeah, yeah. You know, having looking at these photographs and being able to tell you something about that that person that it's there's something very satisfying uh, about making those kind of photographs than making portraits of people at a distance. Got you, got you. Yeah, great stuff. So a couple of things that you've mentioned there, Abirinex, that like you, you said, like photographing, you initially said 20 and then you corrected yourself to, th to 30, 40 years. And then you were talking a, a moment ago as well about something that just reminded me of the video, that beautiful video that you put out a couple of years ago um, about how you got into photography and how you were at the, um, was, it, was it like a youth center or something? And you, you attributed your your entrance into the world of photography to a, a certain teacher or, or some guy at the, at the mm -hmm. yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that, your, your initial sort of, because that's a touching story, but it's also um, inspirational as well. So, you know, if you could talk a little bit about that, that would be great. Yeah, I was a, a member of the Boys Club of Hollywood mm. uh, in the 70s. Mm. And one of the counselors there was Mike Cohen. Got it. And he was in charge of the library and the upstairs of the uh, the original building where they were at. Mm. And um, so I, I sort of gravitated to, to Mike and um, and just really liked him. And he liked me and I liked the friendship that we had developed and he was a, a photo buff himself and there had been a dark room in that in that facility on the second floor just across away from his office that had fallen into disuse so mm -hmm. it was and so he got um all the chemistry cleaned it up and brought in a couple of photojournalist friends that he knew to come and teach a bunch of kids how to shoot load the load the cameras process the film and make and make prints mm -hmm. and uh, one day he said hey come along with me and I went okay and um, I walked in the dark room and saw that print come up uh, out of that developing tray and I was just I was just hooked mm. <laughs> and after a while all the other kids lost interest but I that's all I cared about so I would just walk into the club and I would ask Mike for the keys and I'd go into the dark room and I'd load film in and I'd walk around the club or walk around Hollywood, mm. making pictures, not really caring about what I was taking photographs of. I just wanted to get back into the dark room. Ah, so the pictures were the, the, the pictures were, were like your key to the dark room. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> so I just I just wanted the, the process of making the prints. That's what really excited me. Wow. And uh, and I was like eight or nine years old and after that I was just that's all I it was is what was one of the first things I'd ever discovered that I was good at. Ah, that's huge. Then, that's huge for a kid. Yeah, and and to get people reacting to the photographs. I mean, one of the photographs in the book is the is the image of the kid playing um, pool. 
Yeah. And I think I made that photograph within the first month mm. of uh, learning photography. And I didn't, wow. any, I didn't know what I was doing. Mm. You know, but I look at that photograph and I remember the response to that and some other photographs. And people go, oh, that's a great picture. Mm. And the fact that I could do something, that I could make something mm. and have people respond in that way mm. was unheard of for me. Wow. You know, and I was like, wow, I can, I can, I can make something and people will react in that way. I was like, mm -hmm. I want more of this. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so I think it was that sort of, it was that affirmation that I got from mm. photography that made it so, in, so intoxicating. I, that's, that's incredible. You know, I mean, I have most people, I mean, uh, respond to praise and, and being told that you can do something. And that, for me as well, was really one of the reasons that I continued to dive deeper and deeper into photography. You know, the more I did it, the better I got. Obviously, I mean, like you said earlier, I'm, I, I'm under no uh, misconceptions that I'm the best photographer in the world or anything silly like that. But I, I know how to take a picture and, and it might not be the best, but every so often I get one that resonates with people. And when that happens and you get some really nice positive feedback, it's a huge driver, it, it pushes you forward. Um, but it, it was, it's, you know, to, to, to hear that that was a big part of it for you as well. It's kind of not surprising because, because, you know, kids that, if you get positive feedback as a kid, it, it can be huge. I got a lot of that as an adult. Um, even I was a terrible student in back in England in, um, you know, I, I graduated high school. We graduated high school at 16 in, in the UK. And I graduated high school in 83 into Thatcher's Britain. There were no jobs. There was nothing. Um, and, you know, whether you agree with, with what happened back in those days or not, you know, the pol politics side is, is a separate thing. But the way it felt was like, you know, you, you're leaving school, there's nothing for you, no real need to put any effort into any of this. And I, I was just more interested in, in messing around and showing off at the time. And I just didn't have a very good school life. Um, but then when I came to Japan at 24, which was, what, eight years later? Mm -hmm. um, I learned like two or three words in Japanese and all of a sudden the people around me were praising me for being really good at Japanese. And, and again, <laughs> this was like, oh my God, I can do something. And, you know, so I just didn't, I mean, one of the reasons I came here was because I wanted to learn the language. I thought it would be cool to learn Japanese. Um, and I, so I came armed with a bunch of phrase books and, and I, I found a place once I got here to buy better textbooks for foreigners. But, um, it, it was really a huge part of it. The fact that the Japanese were so warm and, and kind, and probably even with my really bad Japanese telling me it was so good, that drove me on to spend like the next three or four years spending pretty much all of my free time learning grammar and learning the characters and various things. So even as an adult, I respond very well to praise. And so it, it's, it's cool to hear you say that that was a big part of it for you as well. Uh, yeah, because when I was a kid, I, I think the, the the biggest arbiter of your value was whether you were good at sports, oh, yeah. which I wasn't. Me too. And so there was a lot of insecurity re revolving that. And then I also had a really bad stutter, oh, so okay. it made me very self-conscious. Mm. And I only found solace in, in the library. Mm. And I didn't find it in in the community of other uh, other of the other kids because I just didn't feel like I I measured up. But when I made photographs, I got a certain level of acknowledgement from mostly people who are older than me. Mm. That that really meant a lot to me. Wow. 
And so that was very, very valuable to me. And I think mm -hmm. that sort of pervades, pervades me still. Yeah. Because, you know, regardless of whether it's the photography or the writing or the podcast, all those things pretty much sort of are my way of sort of affirming myself, mm. regardless of whether or not I get that acknowledgement from people. Mm. For me, it's, it's reinforcing the things that I feel are good about me, mm. uh, which is, has, has to combat all those thoughts that I have in my head where I'm currently fixated about where I'm falling short or where I'm less than. Mm. So it's it's the action of doing all these things that keeps the beast at bay. Wow. You know what? The, so that that video that I, I recalled earlier, um, if you could send me a link to that, I'll stick it in the show notes because I really oh, want yeah. I really want the the audience to to see that as well. It's it was it's inspirational and just it's just a really well done video. You, you know your filmmaking skills are uh, are really they really come mm. across in that. Oh, so, thanks. Ah, um, so let's see. Um, I, I have, uh, I have some. I actually have some. What I wanted to do here, I wanted to talk a little bit about what photography means to you. Um, I'll tell you what. Let's let's do that first. I mean, it, I know that we've touched on a lot of this um, already, but you know, today, to Iberian X Perillo, what, what is photography to you? You know, it's 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 everything. I mean, it's it's yeah. I, I, I mean, you know, it's hard to find words for what it means to me mm, mm. because from the moment I wake up to the moment I get uh, go to sleep, I'm fixated on photography. <laughs> me too. You know, to, it, it drives my wife nuts. Yeah. You know, because if there's something on television that's about photography, I'm watching it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm on the computer or if I'm going to the bookstore, I'm going to the photo section. And it's, I'm just, if I'm not shooting, I'm thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm looking at other people's work. And for me, um, you know, I, I think it's so, in, it's part of my genetic makeup at this point. Mm that I could not imagine a life that did not involve photography. Yeah, yeah. Some aspect of it. Right. Because it just, I, I love looking at photographs. I love making photographs. I love sitting down and talking to people about photographs. Yeah. It's, 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 it's the tool, it's the greatest tool that I have that allows me to take the greatest pleasure out of life. Mm, mm. And it's not just the, the idea that I'm making photographs, but it's really... It's taught me how to see. Mm. It's taught me how to see the world, how to see people. Mm. It's opened up doors, not just professionally, but it's opened up doors to relationships and opportunities that I never would have had otherwise. Mm. Mm. Um, so it's so, magic for me. Oh yeah, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, you know. So so you said that it you know it teaches you how to see, but it, I mean after the seeing. Do you also feel that you you get a deeper appreciation for the things around you as well? It's you know the the things that you're shooting, or even deeper than that. You know, I mean, I, I feel that photography, in many ways, obviously. I mean, for me too, it, it's it's my life. It's everything. I've I've spent the last um, maybe eight to ten years working towards um, leaving my day job last year, setting up my own company, and and really now. Um, it is everything. I mean, before it was everything outside of my day job, um, and obviously for you, it's been your your career for the last twenty years. So you're you're already there. 
for me, it's really just been, um, it's been all consuming. Um, and like you, you know, if I, if I, whoop, got a call coming in there. Um, if I'm, um, if I'm not doing, actively doing something else, then I will spend all of my time thinking about photography or something related to it. Like you say, you know, even, even just looking stuff, checking people's photos out online, flicking through books, all of that. Um, but I feel as well that it's, it's enriched me as a human being. It's made me a more, a more caring human being in some ways. You know, I, I care much more about the environment and the world around me because of the photographs that I, that I make. Um, do you feel that it's had that kind of an effect on you as well? Yeah, I think it's informed a, a lot uh, about my life. And when I, you know, when I talk about seeing, I think I, I, could, I should probably qualify it by saying that photography has taught me appreciative seeing. Mm, mm. And by that, I mean that when I see something, yeah. I, I can see the beauty in it, regardless yeah. of I'm, whether I make a photograph of it. You know, I see the light, the way it hits a building and reflects off the building and, and, and is illuminates something that's across the street. And I can mm. go, wow, isn't that gorgeous? Mm, mm. And point it out to someone and have them go, wow, isn't that cool? Right, right. And it's, it's that, yeah. that insight that I have to, that regardless of what's happening in the world, what's happening in my life, regardless of whether or not, you know, that check that I was expecting to be in the mailbox today didn't show up. Hmm. that I can just walk outside or look through my window and I can see something marvelous and take a moment to be just so present hmm. that I'm thankful just to be alive in that moment. Wow. And that when I'm making photographs, the best times are not so much when I'm making that great killer photograph, is that when I'm out there and I'm so immersed in that moment and being present that I'm not so preoccupied with what's going to happen 15 minutes later or what happened the day before mm -hmm. that I'm just there and I'm feeling each breath that's coming into my body mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that the the camera the use of the camera becomes this sort of meditative practice yeah and that I'm just there and that I'm alive and I'm aware of the fact that at this moment I am very much alive particularly when I've gone out and done stuff like like you do, which I don't do very very often. But when I'm out in in the natural world, mm. and I'm there with a the camera, and I'm going, mm. "Wow, isn't this world amazing?" <laughs> and here I am, mm. at this very moment, in the midst of the doing something that I love. Right, right. And and I think that the camera provides me that mm. it, it it puts everything into perspective. Right. So you know what, Abirinex, I'm, I'm going to drop a bomb here, um, and I'm going to do this without you. Don't I haven't told you this ahead of time or anything, uh, and I apologise for the way I'm going to do this. But mm -hmm. I actually, um, you know, a couple of times there, you mentioned the fact that you're thankful for being alive in that moment. And you, I actually, uh, I had some um, some bad news yesterday, and this is the first time I'm going to be talking about this, apart from having spoken with my family and everybody last night. But um, I went to the doctors yesterday and found out that I've got a brain tumor the size of a golf ball um, in the middle in the middle of my head, just behind my nose. Um, and so I, you know, I was sitting here thinking, you know, exactly the same thing. It's just I've been so grateful over the years for the fact that I've been able to do what I've done. Um, but there's there's this slim chance now that I might not be able to continue to do it in the coming years. 
And so I'm sort of I'm sort of sitting here um, trying to get my head around the situation. We don't know yet whether it's uh, malignant or not. Um, I actually I started. What happened was the reason we found it was that um, a few years ago, no, a few months ago, when I was in Antarctica, uh, just be, just as we got to Patagonia after the Falkland Islands, we'd come back up from the Arctic, from the Antarctic sort of circle, and we'd been to the Falklands for five days or so, and we spent three days at sea, got to Patagonia, and then after we'd we'd landed and gone to a few ranches and things in Patagonia, um, we. That night, I had this strange sort of, I call it an attack, I don't know if this is the right word, but I, I had this strange feeling in my nose, like I, it felt like I'd been punched, <laughs> Just, or mm. it wasn't painful, but it was like the, the feeling that you get shortly after being punched in the nose. <laughs> um, and then there was, straight afterwards, there was like this burst of tingling that went out from my, my face and my chest, out down my arms and legs, there's a little bit of nausea attached to it and then a little bit of dizziness. But then literally within a minute, it goes away. And that first time it happened every 30 minutes or so for the next two days. Then it spread it out to like four hours. And then on, from about the fourth day, it stopped. And I, I was, it was very disconcerting. I didn't know what it was. The ship's doctor didn't have any, any clue really. Um, but then when I got back to Japan, it stopped. And it was like literally it was four days or so then. And it didn't happen for the last few days of the Antarctica voyage, the trip. Um, and so I thought, okay, well, it's probably something to do with being tired because we've been, been at rough seas and, um, you know, it hadn't, um, it hadn't really been the best, the best last few days because of the seas and things. So I figured it was just from tiredness and maybe a bit of seasickness as well. But then uh, two, three days ago, uh, it happened again twice on, in one day. And then two days ago, it happened three times, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, okay, this is this is pretty disconcerting. It, it mm. I didn't know what the cause was, so I, we went to the doctors yesterday, uh, had a had a, a quick CT scan, and straight away the doctor, she, she, it was quite surprising actually. She just, you know, I told her all of the um, symptoms, and she said, okay, so let's do a CT scan. I mean, I've got a, a really good friend in a, an amazing photographer friend in Australia called Graham Morgan, um, and he is also a, a general practitioner. And he told me as well that, okay, based on what you say, I reckon you need, a T, a, you need an MRI and all of this. Um, so I went to the doctors, got the CT, and she said straight away, oh, we found it. And I said, what? She said, you've got a brain tumor. And, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, that's how you deliver it. Um, but the I went to another, she, she referred me to a, a bigger, better hospital and where we went yesterday afternoon, started another set of tests um i'm going for an mri tomorrow to re really see um you know what it's all about but their opinion looking at the the ct and they took another ct as well is that it, the same you know basically they're, they're pretty sure that, that it's a tumor um uh, but we don't know whether it's like I say it's it's malignant or not at the moment the chances are more that it isn't um because it's growing slowly it's, it's it seems to be growing very slowly it's not doing lots of nasty stuff to the to the tissue around it, so mm -hmm. it doesn't seem at the moment as though it's malignant. And obviously, that's my hope. Um, but it, even if it isn't, they're going to have to cut me and get in there and take it out. Ah. So it's um, it's like I say, sorry for dropping this bomb. Um, I'm doing it partly because I need to let people know, and this is the first podcast that I've done since hearing. 
um, but also because it le- you led into it so well there with your with your talk about the fact you know being thankful for being alive and and it's it's like for the first time in my life I mean I, I've I've just got my Japanese citizenship set up I I've set up my company I'm starting to get some traction and I'm I was sort of thinking yeah this is it let's let's go and then all of a sudden there's this big gap um, mm. you know it might be that in a few years or even in a few months time if something goes wrong in the procedures I might not be around to uh, to continue this life that I've set up and, and worked so hard for so it's it's a big shock it's one of those things that is like um, you know I mean I remember years ago I had a gallbladder operation I wasn't I wasn't able to to go out and, and photograph just for a few weeks and that cut me up and it made me feel very grateful for the fact that I was I was here and and it, and it made me grateful for the fact that I was healthy um, and I still in all respects do feel pretty much very healthy but there's this doubt now and so it's again it's bringing me back to the um, to the old you know we we're here um, we're we're in this transient state between you know we, we have maybe 60 70 80 years or so to do what we do but all of a sudden if we were to only have 44 years what are you what have you what have you done you know it's like i i sat there last night and i and one of the first things i said was that for years now um i've i've wanted to go to africa i i had three places other than um the places that i've already been three places that i wanted to go one was the antarctic i i managed that this year um and then the other was Iceland and the other is uh, Africa. And I was saying to my wife last night, if we can get this thing out and I'm okay, the first thing I'm doing is booking a trip to Africa. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, so I, I don't want to go now because I, obviously we've got a lot of work to do to get this thing sorted out. And, and honestly, I mean, I don't want to shock people. I'm going to get through this. I haven't put so much work into, into everything for this last eight, ten years, uh, all my life really, to get to where I am. Um, to just go and let this get me down. Um, it's not going to happen. But um, there's a little bit of uncertainty there, and that's the, that's what I wanted to really raise here. So. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'm definitely going to keep you uh, in in my prayers, and I hope that it turns out well for you. I really do. Ah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I'm, I don't know what to say in terms of, you know, that anything that I said sort of spurred you to, to share that with me and, you know, the thousands of people that listen to your show, but, uh, you know, I, I think I can speak for everyone who's listening that, you know, that we really care about you. Uh, and uh, that uh, even though we haven't met in the flesh, that uh, uh, you mean something to me. Mm. And and everything that you do uh, has been uh, a great source of inspiration. I mean, just the fact that, that a short time ago you, you made the choice to leave your job and make it a go as a photographer. Mm. I personally felt very proud of you oh, for making thanks. that choice. Wow. You know, because I know, I talked to a lot of people who want to make that make that same choice, but mm. don't. Yeah, and the fact yeah. that I, I, I knew you, um, that I've known you, and to see you making that leap mm. um, sort of encourages me and all these other things where I'm sort of, you know, wanting to do something but have not done it yet yeah, yeah. and um, hearing what you just shared just sort of instills that even even more in me wow. um, yeah, you know, I, I remember communicating by email when I made the jump I, I remember you congratulating me and and saying something similar then which was really nice so it's, 
but it's it's nice. Yeah, I mean that's it's it's humbling and uh, and yeah, I'm I'm just I'm so happy that uh, that you feel that way and but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really yeah, uh, it's really one of those things that. You know, we, we're tested from time to time. <laughs> we, uh, we have to figure out how to get through things. And, and uh, I'm, like I say, I'm pretty sure that un- unless something goes wrong during the procedure, um, like a an, an actual human error, some kind of mistake, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to be okay. So, like I say, I don't want to scare people. I don't want to. I don't want to upset anybody. Um, but also, I, I really appreciate the sentiment there, Rivirinex, in that you know you and 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 I think that other people do care about me and that and that's so humbling and and you know i'm i'm grateful for every every soul that thinks of me and i think what's a real testament to what you what you're doing is that you made the the choice to change your life before this happened yeah yeah well you know what i mean it would have been nice to have to for this to have happened while I was still in a comfy job and and, <laughs> and the money was coming in and you know and I'd got lots of sick leave that I could have used, um, but then again you know thinking about it the other way I'm not going to have to rely on people to cover for me while I'm out of the office and stuff. I just I just won't be able to take jobs for a few weeks, maybe a couple of months or so. But mm-hmm. but once it's all over, I'm going to be stronger and I'm you know there was there was some German guy that. Um, was quoted in a in a corny war movie once as saying something like, you know, what doesn't kill kill us make makes us stronger, um, and and I'm I'm a big believer in that, you know, and I remember thinking that on the way across the Drake Passage on the way out to Antarctica because that's a rough bit of sea, and you know you literally you spend three days where you can't stand up straight, you you can't even sit on the toilet without being launched across the room and hitting your head on the wall. Um, and it's like, so it's like, you know, I remember thinking that, that at the time, but then, you know, this, it's another reminder that, you know, it, they're all experiences that build who we are. Um, yeah. and if, if I get through it, I'll be stronger for it. Um, I was, I just got back from, from Paris mm. I was there for almost two and a half weeks. Yeah. And, um, it's an experience to be in a city that is that old. Yeah. Yeah. And you're walking streets that millions of people who are long gone once walked. Yeah. And it was it, 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 it was very humbling to be mm. out there mm. um, because it just gave me a perspective of how fleeting life is mm. and and how transitory our, our existence here is. And it's just yeah. like and it just gave me appreciation that, you know, here I am and. I'm alive and I'm walking the streets of Paris and mm. how grateful I was for that. Mm. Um, mm. That regardless of whether I was making a great photograph or not, yeah. um, I'm here. Right. And I get the opportunity to be able to appreciate it. And yeah. that uh, had I not made the choices that I made four or five years ago, whether or not this would be a possibility. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I was like you. I was working at, the mag- at a job. I was at a magazine. Yeah. I had a regular paycheck. I had insurance. I had... Um, you know, a certain reliable uh, lifestyle. Right, right. And then I decided to leave there because I felt like I wanted to do something more with my life. Yeah. And and being in Paris and, and, and realizing that that and so many other opportunities would not have happened had I stayed. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, a couple of months ago, there was a woman who um, was working 
um, I think she was an accountant at some office, mm. and she passed away at her desk, and she wasn't discovered until the next morning. Oh, no. And I was like, I felt so sad for for her and her family, but I was just like, man, I'm so glad that I don't face that. Yeah, yeah. You know, that I could pass away sitting at a desk doing work that may provide you know, a regular paycheck, mm. but that I was aching to be doing something else. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I may get frustrated now with the fact that I may not be making uh, as much money this month as I did last month or um, that I'm, you know, sitting at a computer instead of uh, going out and shooting and I could have all those things. Mm. But even though I may have moments where I, God, I, I, I long for the security of that, of that regular paycheck, mm. if I was given the opportunity today, I wouldn't take it. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't go back to that because, right. despite all the challenges and the frustrations that I face, you know, there are certain days where I can go out in the middle of the day mm. with my camera right. and make pictures right. and don't have to rush back and and punch in the clock. Right, right. And there's something very gratifying about about that. Mm. And I know that most people can't lay claim to that kind of life. Yeah. And uh, I'm grateful that I'm, I may not have the success of, you know, some legendary photographer and I'm trancing, trancing around the world, you know, photographing fabulous people and, and dining on caviar and champagne. But, you know, I have a better life than I had five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, as a result I, of the choices that I, I feel exactly the same. I mean, I, I, I had probably my my best month in terms of revenue that comes in last month um sold a few big uh, stock photo deals and things um and uh, and uh, various other stuff and and I had probably my best month um apart from the the tour months which which tend to make me a little bit more but from just sales of what I do I had probably my best month yet last month and I uh I I still probably made I don't know a quarter to maybe a third of what I did in my old job, but mm -hmm. but how much more did I appreciate that money? It was like it was like wow, you know, I'm I'm sowing seeds, I'm working with people, I'm making relationships, I'm making deals, and I'm I'm bringing every dollar of this in to myself, um, as opposed to working for someone else and they make their money on what you do. Um, you know, there's a direct connection to it, to the things that we do when when you're you know, when you're out on your own doing this stuff, um, you know, like you are and, and like I am. And it's, it's, it just feels so much better. And, and I've, I've done everything on my own terms. Everything is, you know, I work when I want to work. I work hard, but I work when I want to work. And it can be solid weekends, but then I'll, I'll take a few days off in the week and go and shoot, um, shoot something that I wanted to, I wanted to photograph or, yeah, and even that now, I mean, obviously that is my work as well now, so it's still working. Mm. But does it feel like work? No, it doesn't. It's like, you know, if if I've got a camera in my hand and I'm actually doing something, um, if I'm doing a commercial shoot, it feels more like work. But it again, it it's just, I mean, someone said, you know, if you make what you love your your job, you never have to work a day in your life again, and that's true in in many ways. And I think one of the, and I think what kind of reaffirms that is when you make a great photograph yeah yeah and you know i've seen the your your a podcast when you're holding those prints 
Yeah. And, uh, and, and I know there's a, there's a certain level of satisfaction when you have gone through all that stuff, you have those moments of self-doubt, mm. and then you're standing there holding that print and you're yeah. going, I made this. Right, right. And isn't, it's isn't just that like, oh. Yeah. You know? I, I, was, I was thinking of that sort of thing as well when you were talking about watching the, um, watching the, the print come up in the developer earlier. Um, mm. you know, the fact that the, the physical manifestation of the photograph got you so excited, that resonated with me a lot as well because I do love, I love to look at an image on a, on a, on a monitor with the backlit, beautiful you know, screen you know, the, the, that, we, that we have now. But I just also love to actually print out you know, a, a, a good quality fine art print um, you know whether the contents aside, you know, obviously, I mean, the on on fine art papers and all of that, a really good quality print just feels amazing, and and I I never cease to be, um, you know, excited by the process of of actually making a print. You know, it's, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm lucky enough to have a a couple of really good quality printers. I've got one, the 24 inch printer now that I do most of my printing on. Um, it, it just it's twelve color does amazing prints um, and and I, it just feels so great because I'm, I'm basically I mean I'm a I'm an engineer at heart my old job in software was engineering as well but I just love making things since I was a kid I've loved making things and the when computers came along they really excited me and I remember you know my first computer back in ninety five it would have been or. Well, actually, my first computer was a Commodore 64, but we'll, we'll, we won't get into that mm. just now. Um, but, um, you know, I remember really spending a lot of time with computers. And, and I, I got into my job as a software engineer, have, having been to college over here in Japan. Um, and I, I really sort of, for a long time, was happy. If I was around computers, that was me happy. But then my love of photography that I'd had since before computers came around um, kind of got a hold of me again when the digital revolution came and it, and it all became so much easier and, and in some ways less costly and others more costly, obviously. But um, that really got me back into photography um, and photography won, won me back over from computers after that. But then the fact that I've still got this love of computers obviously doesn't just automatically go away. So digital photography is like the an amalgamation of, of photography, the art, and the engineering side, the, the computer side. And so that is one another reason really why digital photography got me, you know, totally, 100%, 120, 200%. So it's like this is this has all been for me the last few years such a such a huge thing to be able to deal with, you know, the the, the art side and the technical side, which are both of which I love, but then now to also be able to create prints, you know, this physical manifestation of the image, a tactile print that you can hold in your hand, and that is that is to me the icing on the cake. That, yeah, yeah, it's just it's just amazing. So how long have you been seriously shooting now? Um, it's probably seriously, um, as in you know, really sort of trying to make good images has been probably uh, 20 years maybe. I, I started, okay. I bought my first SLR 20 years ago, um, shortly after coming to Japan. Um, I've been shooting since my, since my teens um, with various 35 millimeters and even 110, those 11 millimeter film cameras we used to have. Yeah, uh, yeah. I remember buying one of those when I was 14 on a holiday. 
Um, but I, I started to try to really make photographs um, as opposed to taking them. Um, when I was 24, um, shortly after getting to Japan, uh, which was 20 years ago. Um, then the digital revolution, obviously, that really changed things at the, at the end of the last millennium, I guess. Uh, it would have been probably about uh, 99 um, or so, maybe 2000. No, I think it was 99 um, when, I, when I got my first digital camera. And then the, in 2001, I think it was, I bought the D30. The, mm. uh, the EOS D30, the, uh, the three megapixel uh, first really, although it was incredibly expensive, um, it was the first camera really that people, that just, you know, everybody um, with, with a will to buy it could really afford to go and get. So it was, uh, it was, that was, that was really the changing point. Um, and after that, it was more about me trying to, um, to just sort of, you know, continue to refine the craft. Um, you yeah. know, I, I really am a big believer. I mean, some people use the word make photographs um, because they think it sounds cool and, and, you know, that's fine. But I, I feel as though I'm making images um, in the fact that I take total control over the process. I, I, all, this, is, this is not a, snob, a snobby thing for me to say, I hope, but... You know, generally, because I want control over the light, I shoot in manual mode most of the time, 99% of the time. And so I feel as though I'm really manipulating every aspect of an image as I shoot it. Um, and, you know, regardless of what I do afterwards, I don't do a lot of post-processing unless I'm converting to black and white. Um, but I, I feel as though I'm making images as opposed to taking them pretty much all of the time. Um, and that really started from maybe... The time, uh, you know, shortly after I bought the, the the D30, which was about nine nine years ago or so. Oh, I love your photographs. I think ah. you're, you're great, and I'm I'm glad to hear you've been shooting for twenty years because if you told me six years, I would have felt really bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there there are people that do that, right? Yeah. You know, oh, I mean, every God, so yeah, often. Tell me about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's um, it's both depressing and inspiring. It's like. <laughs> Some people say, "Yeah, well, I've been shooting for four years now, and uh, and I've just turned pro, and I've done this and that, and, and it's like, <laughs> it's like, oh wow, you know, it can be, but it, but again, it can be so inspiring at the same time as depressing." <laughs> yeah, but I think it, it really just speaks to just just commitment, whether whether it takes six years or whether it takes you know twenty years. Right. It's really how, about how much time and effort you you put into it. I think mm. a lot of people buy. You know, thousands of dollars worth of equipment, and then they only shoot periodically with, you know, with with a camera, and then yeah. they wonder why their pictures aren't particularly good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, and I think that it's it's, you know, the most valuable thing you have is not the camera; it's the time. Mm -hmm. It's the time that you make to not only go out and make photographs, but take a look at other photographs. Mm -hmm. And I th I think for me. What allowed me to be able to discern what was a good photograph and a bad photograph mm. weren't so much all the pictures that I took, but mm. all the time that I spent on my living room floor looking through all these monogra monographs yeah, yeah. and looking through all these great photographers and all these great pictures so that I sort of wired my brain to be able to recognize what a good picture looks like. Mm. So that when I was out there making a picture, I was able to... Once I was able to discern the, the importance of light, then I was able to start 
creating compositions and framing a scene and a subject in a way that I could take advantage of not what was just in front of me and what I was holding in my hand, but all that, all that history and information that I had sort of embedded in my brain mm. and having them all gel together. Mm. Mm. But that only comes as a result of just a lot of time of looking at pictures and making photographs and, and just becoming immersed in it. I yeah. think, you know, the, the, a lot of people assume that, well, you have to be innately talented in order to be a good photographer. And I mm. go, that may be part of it, but I think that regardless of what your innate talent is, mm. if you don't invest, invest the time yeah. in learning to see and appreciating what a good photograph is and mm. making the photographs, that you're not going to take advantage of whatever talent you may have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's that's so true. It's, they're... Um... I think that, you know, being a good photographer, obviously, you've got to, especially if you're going to do commercial jobs, you've got to be confident in, that you can go in and get the shots. You've got to be confident that you can come up with the goods regularly and consistently. Um, but it, it's it's really, it's, you know, photography, depending on what, um, type, you know, what you're aiming for, it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be a, uh, you know, an incredibly artistic person. I think mm -hmm. you can come at it from so many different ways. You know, it's, you can you can learn to be creative, um, but also you can. I, I mean, I'm I'm still, even though I consider myself a relatively competent photographer, I'm still in awe of some people's creativity and how they can come up with. Um, there, there's a guy who on my forum, um, he's got the the nickname, uh, you know, the the username Mr. Nikon. Uh, and uh, he, his name's uh, Dan Newcomb uh, from Canada, and he amazes me always with his ability to to just take uh, a theme. You know, we, we do a competition or an assignment every month, um, and then the the our um, community decides the you know the top, they vote for the top five images. Mm -hmm. um, but like Dan, always uh, and many of the people that get into this amaze me in the fact that you can give them one two three words as a as an, a theme and then they'll run with it and they'll come up with such amazing photographs i can't do it myself you know I mean, it's like even though i set the themes often with the help of some ideas from the community but it, it's just you know people like that they amaze me in their in their creativity um but you know i mean that in itself is one way to be successful at this you know, the, the, there are lots of other ways you can do it. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of, I mean, I've heard said as well, and I'm sure this is true, that, you know, the best, even the most creative and the, the you know, people shooting the most incredible photographs in the world may not definitely, you know, necessarily succeed as, as a, as a full-time photographer because they're lacking business skills, for example. Mm -hmm. you know I mean, it's like, you know, being able to shoot an image or make an image or and that actually being able to sell that image are two totally different things, yeah. And so, we, we I mean, like even now we, we have the the market swamped with free images because people are uh, are basically either free or or micro stock. Um, whether you know we don't want to we don't want to get into this. We've already been chatting for over yeah. an hour, so uh, you know. But, they're, but they're, I, you know, I, yeah. I think you make a, a excellent point about um, people discovering what they are good at mm, mm. Um, you know because I look at your images and I love your images could I make those same images as good as you make them probably not but I would very likely make 
very different images than mm. you mm. that you wouldn't be capable of doing. Right. And it doesn't make either of us the better photographer. Right. Because right. given different subject matter, given different circumstances, you know, one of us is going to make a photograph that some are going to view as superior. Right. But it still doesn't mean that that you are the superior photographer. Right. And just, and and the, on the other side of that coin though, we could we could do that and there would be another person that sees what you create as superior. You know, and it's like cuz even even if mm-hmm. even if you and I both agreed on which we think is the better of the two images, that doesn't necessarily mean that, it, that that's going to follow through to the audience and the, and anyone else that's selecting an image or just viewing the images, you know, because it, it's all in the eye of the beholder, as they say. Yeah. You know, so it, it's, it really is, it's so, um, I don't know, I guess, subjective, um, I always get these two wrong. Uh, hang on, which is it? We've got subjective and the, the antonym. Objective. objective. It's objective. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so, so, you know, people, it, however people look at these things i mean i'm often amazed by the images that um people select for me to do prints for them you know i sell my images as prints from my website and sometimes the orders come in and i'll say you know i mean i'm happy to a degree with every image that i have on my website if i'm not i I remove it um so i'm happy that people um request any image as a print but sometimes i a print order comes through and i'm thinking hmm why did they order that one over this one? Or, or you know, I, I'm I'm often surprised by the images that people select, but I know from feedback that are, that people generally spend quite a long time going through the images, making their decision on what to buy, mm-hmm. and so you know they're obviously they're not going to buy something on a whim. They're gonna they're gonna go for the thing that really appeals to them the most, and so that's a learning experience to me as well because you know like we say, I mean the image the imagery that we make. One person will see it totally different to another, and and one person will prefer one over another, and so it's it's all, it's it's very much um, you know in into the down to the person that's viewing it or 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 selecting an image for a job or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I downloaded all of the pictures from Paris, and I just kind of was quickly browsing through them, and my initial reaction goes, "Well, all this stuff sucks." <laughs> Yeah, and you know, reality is, is you know, as usual, the, you know, the great majority of the pictures don't don't work, and there are probably some images in there that that, that do work. Mm. But you know, that whole whole sentiment about what's good or, or, or better or bad or worse is is, is it, you know that that of subjective objective thing is happening perpetually, even mm. if you are been doing this for a while. Right. And I think it's kind of important for people to sort of recognize that even people like us who have been doing it for twenty plus years. Mm. Um, sometimes look at our own work and go, eh. Yeah, I, I do it all the time. I, I, I actually, I'm, I'm a behind by about eighteen months or so on this. But I, I started a few years ago to go through and call my images on my website. I mean, like I just said that I'm happy with everything that's up there. That was, that was a semi truth because I haven't done this for a while. Um, and there are, there are the odd occasion where I go through and think, you know, I'll see an image and I'll say to myself. You need to go through and do the call again, mate, because <laughs> it's like it's. It, there are a few things in there that I'm, I probably wouldn't have put up if I'd have shot it today. So I did that the last eighteen months or so ago. I need to do it again. Um, but 
yeah, I mean, you, sometimes you know you, you go through and even even the work that you were happy with a few years ago doesn't appeal to you anymore, or you, you know you can sometimes think, you know well, what, what was I thinking there, and so it, it's it's there's always going to be that aspect, um, and yeah. and that's good. I mean, there are I've, I've got I've got a, another saying that you know your last year's work or your most recent work should be your your um, you know maybe your best or your favorite, um, and you know there's always going to be when you're I, I always try to give myself at least two or three days after a shoot before I'll present any images to people on what I've done, unless I've got a, a work-based um, time constraint. If it's my own work and I've got the freedom of, of how long it, I, I take to upload anything to my website or show it to people, then I'll usually try and sit on images for at least two to three days a week or so if possible because there's always going to be the emotion of the of the shoot or the the fact that you put so much work into getting this particular image that makes you select something that you probably wouldn't have selected if there wasn't that emotional or you know work sort of you know the amount of work sort of attachment so mm-hmm. so you know that that's that aside i do though strongly believe that your your most recent work should be your your best and your favorite because if it isn't it means that you're you're not progressing you know we should all be um, working, you know, moving forwards in our photography, and there, you know, there were going to be times where you went to a certain place that made, uh, gave you the ability to to make images that are going to stand out for many years. And and I'm not saying that you should just forget about those and they should become crap because they're they're a few years old. But there there's also going to there really is, I, I believe, this this aspect of of your most recent work um, needing to be your your best work because if it's not you're stagnating you're going backwards and, and even if you just stop making the same sort of work year in year out the rest of the world's going to surpass you you know you've got to continue to improve yeah. so well maybe you know obviously there that's that's all uh, down to the person themselves and uh you know ansel adams work still stands out now years later so it's definitely not connected to the people around you you know with a uh, you know, a, a chain or something, but then I think that, that that is an aspect that I try. I always try to make sure that I feel happy with my most recent work. Yeah, and one of the things I think that last chapter I I, I read that chapter about comparisons yes. about the um, you know the the debilitating aspect of of com- comparing your work to others and yeah you know I really want that was a really important chapter for me to include in the book because. I, I, I felt that for, for so long I was constantly comparing what my work was or where I was with my career with everyone else's mm. and always falling short. Right, right. And um, That, that and, last chapter resonated with me the most, I think. It was great. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. And, and, and I felt like it was really important to be able to say that because I think that that's one of the big bugaboos that we all live with especially anyone who, who wants to live a creative life is that, is that whole idea of, of comparing where you are at and with your your creativity and with your work and with your career and that at some point it just has to be about am I doing what I love am mm-hmm. I doing it to the best of my ability mm-hmm. am I doing it enough yeah and if you are if you have a, if you answer those questions in in the positive you're doing good yeah yeah you're yeah. doing good, and I think that just 
that's what I try to keep in mind because when I compare myself to somebody else, especially someone who's only been shooting two or three years and they're doing <laughs> amazing work, I, I have to take a take a step back and go, I'm I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And I just need to keep on and just do all the work that I've laid out for me to do for the day yeah. and do it, do it the best I can mm. and try to make the time to go out and do what I love and be around the people that I love. And if I can do that, I'm good. Because whether I got 30 days left or 30 years left, if I do that from day to day, I think I'll have a, a, a pretty damn good life. Mm. So, mm. Yeah. Yeah, that last chapter, it was good. It was like, I mean, you mentioned also in there <clears throat> about the equipment, you know, the the fact that you, you feel, sometimes feel um, that this extra bit of equipment might uh, help you to become a better photographer. And there, there's certainly that aspect. There's, you know, I mean, <clears throat> I, I've bought lenses in the past um, because I need to do a certain, I wanted a certain look, I wanted to be able to do a certain thing with a lens. And that's great. But some people, you know, obviously, the, You'll get, you'll get the the fact that you know somebody's shooting this sort of image, they look great. What lens are they using? It's the fifty millimeter one two or whatever, and you think, okay, I've got to own that lens or I cannot be as good a photographer as that person, and that's obviously not always going to be the case. It you know gear will enable you to do things that you can't do if you've got a specific goal to over you know a, a wall to to climb or a goal to to reach. But it's it's not about trying to get the the you know the next bit of great gear it's it's really enabling yourself to do the job that or the work that you want to do is one thing trying to keep up with the next photographer and make sure that you have the, the same gear or better gear than them is is dilapidating it's just not yeah. necessary yeah and you know I, and i don't really talk about this in the chapter but i think part of the the reason why the the purchases happen mm when they don't necessarily have to, is that it often provides the impetus to go out and make the photographs. Right, that's that's true. And, that's very true. And and I think that it's it's trying to find something other than spending the money to create that. Mm, mm. You know, because I, I still I still, you know, drool over certain pieces of equipment and I'm lucky that sometimes I get to I get to use equipment temporarily because I'm I'm gonna be evaluating it. Mm. And you know, when I open the box and I get the camera or the lens in my hand you know, I'm, I I can't wait to go out, rush out and, and shoot. Mm. So I kind of recognize that in myself, mm. uh, even though I don't have to dole out the money mm. as often as some other people may have to. But it's 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 not being dependent on those purchases to initiate going out and making the photographs. And I think that's right. that, that's a great challenge for anyone. Right. Right. Uh, and I think if you can find that, then you become ahead of the game, and and that new shiny toy in your hand becomes less necessary, and you become more involved in what you can do with what you have, and then you really can I think lay claim to being a real photographer and being a real artist because you are working within the limitations that you have and are trying to make something great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, totally agree. So, you know what, Abirinex, I'm looking at the clock. We've just gone over one hour and 30 minutes, okay. <laughs> including, including the quick chat before we got started. So let's let's call it a day. Um, I'm, you know, thanks so much for your time. Um, it's been a pleasure, you know, just, to, I mean, I always enjoy communicating with you, but having, you know, speaking directly like this, it's always great. 
Uh, so really, thanks very much for coming on my podcast, and uh, hopefully, um, you know, we'll we'll get a chance to talk again soon. Yeah, I definitely have to have you on my show sooner or later. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't intend to say that, but then when I said my, I emphasized my podcast earlier, I thought, oh crap. <laughs> I didn't mean to say it that way. Sorry. No, 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 no worries. Yeah, but I feel very honored to, to, to have the opportunity to be on your show, and I, I wish you only the best with all, with everything that you're doing, especially in regards to your health. And uh, um, give my best to your to your lovely wife. Well done. Well done. All right. Well, really, thanks so much, Ibernex. It's been a pleasure and a lot of fun. All right, brother. You take care of yourself. Will do. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. This is Dave Warner, and I'm the host of the LensFlare35.com podcast. Each week I bring you interviews with some of the top photographers using digital SLR cameras. They share some of their coolest tips and tricks, techniques and news about what they're up to. So please take a moment to visit the website or subscribe to LensFlare35 on iTunes. The Martin Bailey Photography Podcast is a proud member of the Photocast Network. Find this and other great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com.